No, uh, thank you guys so much for being here, for being faithful and, uh, and coming uh, even, in the, uh, even in the snowy weather. Now, this is our second message in our series Uncensored, and uh, I believe um, that the Lord has something special planned for today. I really do with all my heart. Um, last week, we, we, we got into this, and uh, next week, I have an announcement that I've missed three weeks in a row, and I just about did it again. You guys ready? Let's back up. I'll pray again. We'll get spiritual again. So starting next week, so one of the things that we do here, we, we call it starting point. It's for all of our new guests, right? All of our visitors that come in, we want to be able to spend some time with you and get to know you. And we've been doing it on Wednesday nights at one point and Monday nights at one point. And it's all been going really great. But one of the things that we've uh, decided to do is we're going to try doing it on Sundays right after church. And so we're going to feed first-time guests, uh, come in, give them some lunch, hang out with them, kind of go through things, answer any questions, just spend some time with them. Um, if you have not got to meet us or you want to do that, starting next Sunday, every Sunday following uh, the service, right after church, uh, we're going to meet in the youth room and uh, just have a little bit of food and hang out. Uh, it would be a great time if, if you've been coming for a few weeks and you haven't been able to spend any time with us or come to Starting Point. Uh, that would be a great time to do that starting next week. Everybody understand? So this week, I can say that I made my announcement that I was supposed to make for the last three weeks. All right. So I'm going to pray, and then we're going to get back into it. You guys ready? Oh, yeah, and we have a parking team. I always forget the logistics. Did you guys see those guys out there? It was awesome. Do you guys see the panda bear? You guys looking for a spiritual reason behind that? There's not one. We had one in the back. Teenagers like, can I wear that thing? They were like, why not? So now we have the pursuit panda who's going to hang out in the parking lot. As long as it's still cool, we'll keep doing it. Uh, all right, let's pray, get our hearts and our minds back in the right place. Father, I just want to thank you so much, Lord. I pray, Lord, that you would just let your spirit be with us this morning, God. Uh, just unite us as a family today, uh, just under, uh, under our Heavenly Father, God. I pray, Lord, that you just let your spirit speak to us. In your name, amen. So, this is our second message in our series, Uncensored. Uh, last week, listen, we, 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 I added a week. I added an intro week to the series because I thought it was just um, important that we just take a second as a family, take a second um, as, a, as, as just our gathering, our house, and just pause and really look at why uh, the over-sexualization exists in our culture, exists in, in, uh, in the last few generations, why it's just dominated every area of our life. And it's our natural instinct, especially inside the church, to blame everybody else for the problems that we have inside the church. We want to blame the culture, we want to blame society, and it's true. That culture does scream very, very, very loud their viewpoint and their perspective on sex, right? We, we, we know that, they're very dominant about it. It, it, it shows up in all the movies and all the shows, and we went through, you know, basically that transformation last week for a few minutes. We just kind of started looking all the way back at the 80s and just how it's kind of transitioned all the way down to what we see and know today. But at the end of the day, the volume of the culture Culture, we said wasn't the problem. Uh, the, the, the volume of the culture um, is just, it's just, it's just speaking forth what's in the hearts and the minds of people, right? It's not, it's not, it's, it's, there's not a committee that gets together and says, hey, this is what the culture thinks. It's just, it's a natural generation of, 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 of thoughts and ideas and philosophies and perspectives that, that create the culture. And, and, and so we can't really blame the culture because it's, it's, it's not a thing. The volume of the culture, the, 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 what the culture says and what the culture thinks uh, should not have any effect on the church. The problem is not the volume of the culture, but the uh, the, the problem is the silence of the church, that the church for the last few decades have remained almost completely silent about sex, about sexuality, um, and that we, we pretty much, we just kind of made the joke that we really don't hear much growing up, if you grew up in the church, you really don't hear much from sex or about sex except for that sex is dirty, evil, uh, rotten, and, and you should save it for marriage. Right? It's just one of those things that we don't want to talk about it, don't want to think about it. It's this dirty thing, it's this bad thing, it's this evil thing, but just save it for the one you love. Just save it for marriage. And it's this thing that really doesn't make a lot of sense to us, but that's kind of the context that we have this in, is that the, vol the, the volume of the culture is so loud and the church is so silent, how can we expect generation after generation to get an idea of God's perspective on sex if the church isn't saying anything and the volume of the culture is screaming so loud to our hearts? Does that make sense? And so the heart behind it was we were just going to take a six-week period. We were just going to take a six-week period, and we were going we to break the silence of the church, and we were going to bring uh, sex back into the house of God, and we are going to speak about it because sex is a God thing. Sex is not an unnormal thing. Sex is a great thing. It's, it's not the culture doesn't own sex. God created sex. It's, it's God's thing. It fits within the designs of God of love, sex, and marriage. It's all one thing that God created uh, for the pleasure and the intimacy and the joy of his creation. It's a beautiful thing. It's an amazing thing. And, and it's something that we should. The same way that we talk about everything else that exists in Scripture, we should talk about sex in the same exact 
way. And so that was what we're going to do over the course of the next six weeks. And I've been super excited about it. I think it's going to bring a lot of uh, freedom to people. I think it's going to open your eyes, especially today. I think for, for, for some people, you're not going to learn anything new today except that you may learn why something that you naturally believe is true. And, I, and I'll explain this. So one of the biggest things that we have, and one of the biggest issues that we have, um, in, especially within the church, um, and within especially the last two generations, like my parents' generation and, and my generation, and now as the younger generation comes up, because the volume of the culture has been so loud on their viewpoint on sex, which is basically that sex is, it's nothing, it's no big deal, it's just sex, it's just a thing, it's, you might as well just, you know, have sex or go play football, there's just about the same thing, it's just, there's no deep-seated emotional ties to it, it's just, basically, it's just, it's just physical, and if, if the church isn't saying anything different from that, you kind of arrive at this idea based off society and based off shows and based off uh, studies and based off things that we, the society, the culture has just kind of come to this one uh, common mentality that sex is just physical that there's not a deep-seated emotional tie to sex that it's just physical they've separated the idea of sex and love right they say, listen you can just have sex and you can just hook up and it can just be a a, a, a a time killer it can just be like a hobby it can just be a thing it's no big deal it's it's fun it brings pleasure it's this it's that it's just physical it's no big deal but then they, and then they say but there is this thing called love over here and this is an amazing thing and and and, and then sex and love aren't connected you'll find somebody eventually that you love and then sex is just kind of a part of that but they, they've 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 disconnected those two things and they've taken all the emotional uh ties and all the emotional ideas and all the spiritual ideas and all the all the mental ideas and all the things in our hearts and our minds they disconnected it from sex and said sex is just it's just physical it's just it's just like going out and playing a contact sport it's just physical there's there's no big deal to it but in, in my study in my research i've read all kinds of books about this and there was a secular psychologist that wrote this book and 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 he asked two or three questions of this because his point was this book that he wrote he took 10 major topics that culture says that they believe and he says that I want to show you that culture really doesn't believe these 10 things that they say they believe. And then he goes in and he proves why, although culture says one thing, that they really don't believe it the way that they present it to everybody. Does that make sense? And one of the chapters was designated to sex. And they said this, is, that, this was his common thing. He said this is the common, most natural, ideal uh, perspective on sex is that sex is just a physical thing, that it's just, it's just, it's just a thing, it's just a hobby, it just, it's just like anything else. There's no emotional ties to it. It's not deep. And he posed three or four questions um, that, that I really hesitated to share, but I felt like the more that I studied and the more that I prayed, I felt like it was important um, to maybe raise these things. And I, and I know that, that some of these questions are going to, for some people, may, may bring up some darkness. It may bring up some, some bad seasons in your life. It may, it may bring up a tragedy um, in your childhood. Or it may bring up something that, that this maybe one of the things happened to somebody close to you and, and that my intention is is not to bring up bad thoughts and not to bring up negativity um, but to really get us to think about this concept because if you ask the average person is sex just physical many especially in the millennial generation they will answer yes yeah, just physical it's just a thing it's no big deal it's low shelf there's, there's nothing to it and this is what the the psychologist uh, said this in his book he said oh, I'll just ask two or three questions he said if if sex is just physical and there's no emotional ties to it and there's no spiritual ties to it. And there's nothing mental. It's just physical. He said, why do children who face the tragedy of sexual abuse suffer deep emotional wounds that, if unhealed, they carry with them their entire life? Right? He says, on one level, culture says, you know, sex is, is, is subjective. Sex is, it's just physical. Sex is, it, 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 there's no boundaries to it. You should just be able to think the way you want to think and do the things you want to do, and there's, there's no consequences for it. It's just sex. As long as it's safe and it's consensual, it's just, it is what it is. But then he brings up the question, then why is, why is it when, when children suffer at the hands of sexual abuse as children, why do they carry deep-seated mental and emotional issues in their life? If unhealed on a spiritual and psychological level, they will carry with them through their, the entirety of their life. We know that to be true. He says, so if sex is just physical, why is that a reality? The culture can't answer. He says, if sex is just physical, if sex is just, if it's not emotional, if it's not spiritual, if it's not mental, if it doesn't go beneath the surface, if it's just flesh on flesh, just skin, he said, then why does a woman who goes through the horrible tragedy of facing rape in her life experience one of the most deep-seated emotional wounds a human being could ever experience, one that can alter her entire uh, ideology on life. And if unhealed, she'll carry with it her entire life. 
if sex is just physical. This was his overall point. He said, if sex is just physical, he said, the culture screams it. The culture screams it. He said, but they don't even believe it. Because if they truly believed that sex was subjective and that, that sex was individualistic and that sex had no boundaries and that sex had no consequences, sex was just physical, he said that should apply to every single arena of life. But we know that it doesn't. A few more things in the studies. It says that males in particular, that when they had two or more sexual partners, even if they weren't cheated on, even if they didn't face adultery or any way, just two sexual partners outside of marriage, that they developed Almost 90% said they developed trust issues. They had, they had trouble trusting and connecting to another female after those two partners. We know this to be true. So if it's just physical, why? And he goes down the line of about 20 different things. If it's just physical, then why do we see all these emotional issues attached to it over and over and over and over again? The simple answer is this. Sex is not just physical. And this isn't a brand new thing. And this isn't something that we just decided in the last 30 years. This was something that God talked about all the way in Genesis. This is something that Paul talked about over and over and over again in the New Testament. This isn't something that just kind of popped up in the last 30 years. I know that we think that America is over-sexualized, but if you go back and you do your history, and this is stuff that they don't show you in 8th grade history class, but sexualization in the Greek culture would blow your mind. And this was the arena at which Paul was, was planting churches in Corinth and in Ephesus, where they had temples, where they would literally, they were just the sex gods, and people would just come, and there were prostitutes all over the place, and they would just come, and as a form of worshiping this sex god, they would just have sex. This, this was a deep-seated, sexualized culture. And so as he's beginning to teach these things, he's addressing this. He's saying, guys, I want you to understand something. As he's writing to all these different churches, he addresses the idea of sexual immorality over and over and over and over again because this is not something that we just created in the last 30 years. I think sometimes we have in this mentality that like in the 50s, you know, people just held hands and that was like porn back then on TV. I hear, my, I hear people say it all the time, back when I was younger, that would be considered X-rated. Well, it's like, it's like back in, like, like holiness just abound in the 50s or something, right? Nothing changed in the human mind and the human heart. We just now have technology to spread our evil everywhere, right? Right? It just looks better when it's not in black and white. It's not like sexual immorality just popped up when the Kardashians started doing social media. It's not like we just invented, it's not like, it's not like pornography just showed up. Do you know, like, I, I don't even know why I was watching, but I was watching this one on the History Channel, and they were going back and they were looking at these caves, and they, they found this one cave, and there was a whole bunch of naked people having sex. People were drawing them. It was original porn. I'm not, it's not, it's funny, but it's like not funny. They were just sitting around, they're like, what am I going to draw today? Hmm. Right? This isn't something that just showed up. My point is this, is that it, it, it was here in, in all the way thousands of years ago during the, during the times of, of, of creation, during the, the writings of Genesis and through Moses, the Exodus, and it came up over and over again, all the way to the New Testament, all the, all the way to right now. This isn't something that, that has just showed up in life. And Paul speaks directly to this concept of sex is just physical, and this is 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 12, and he just kind of goes through this point. I want to read this. To you, the first thing he just kind of starts off, he says, listen, he goes, and you've all said this. Every, everybody said this in one way or another, especially if, you're, if you think back to your teenage years, you had this conversation with one of your parents at some point, and if you're a normal human being. This is what he starts off. He says, you say, I have the right to do anything, right? You say that, right? Clean your room. No, I'm an American. I don't have to clean my room. Okay, get out of the house. All right, you want me to put, like, the couch, you want to move everything and sweep it, or what do you want me to Right? We, you have the right. We, we, we think this all the time. I say it all the time. We have the, I have the right to do anything. I have the right to, to speak my mind. Well, you hear this constantly. We have the right. Paul says, listen, you say that I have the right to do anything. That's how he starts off this, this conversation. He says, you have the right to do anything. And he says, but listen, the next part of it says, I have the right to do anything. You say, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but I will not be mastered by anything. He says, you have the right to do anything, but not everything is beneficial. Like, I have the right to get off this stage, walk up to the road, and take a nap in the middle of it. I have the right and I have the ability to do that. But that's not beneficial to me. Right? 
Right? I have the ability to get in my car, not buckle up, and drive at 100 miles an hour forever. I mean, I, it, it's not beneficial. It's not safe. I can do it, but it's not beneficial. It, it doesn't mean just because you have the right to do it that it's a good thing for you. So Paul's making like this pretty logical argument. And you got to think, I mean, these guys, again, I, I, know, I know you think we're over-sexualized. And some of, you, some of you guys, I mean, I know you're super proud about your sexual explorations. Like, yeah, man, yeah, I did. The, he's talking to guys who like get off work, clock out, and go have sex and worship of their God. Like this is like an everyday thing. Right? The crazier it is, the better it is, the more, the more it, I mean, this is an incredibly over-sexualized culture. And so he's saying, listen, you have the right to say, but not everything's beneficial. Well, that makes sense. It makes sense, right? We get that. We can come to, even if you don't, you don't have to, my goal is for you not to believe what Paul's saying as we kind of go through this, this little point, but you have to accept that, that the, his point behind everything. Does that make sense? So we understand. He says, listen, you have the right to do everything. Raise your hand if you have the right to do anything. Don't go theological. I'm God's now, and I've lost my right and ability to do that. God is a sovereign God. I have no free will. Shut up. Right? You have the right to do anything. He says, but not everything's beneficial. He moves on, and he says this. This is super, I mean, this is so complex. Your mind's not going to get this. I apologize. He went too deep. It's so, so complicated. He says, you say food for the stomach and the stomach for the food, and God will destroy both of them. You don't understand that, right? Food for the stomach, stomach for the food. Does that, do you ever read the Bible, and you're like, what does that mean? Where does that come from? His point is this. He says, listen, what is your stomach made to do? eat. What's your stomach made to do? Eat. Wake up. I know it's cold. Y'all are going to hang with me. Food is made for what? Food is made for your stomach. Your stomach is made for your food. Food is made to eat. It goes down your throat into your stomach and your stomach acids crunch it all up and you process it and go somewhere else. He's just making a point. He's saying, listen, food's for the stomach, stomach for the food. He said, but listen, but God, God can destroy both of them. God has dominion over both of them. God has power over both of them. He's, what his point is, he's laying the groundwork for the idea of design. He's saying there's a system behind everything. There's a design behind everything. He goes, take your stomach, for example. Your stomach is your stomach, and it's made for food, and food is made for stomach. There's a system here. There's a design here. And he's going back. He's building off his first point. You have the right to do anything, but not everything's beneficial. You have the right to consume as much food as you want in your stomach. But if you eat too much, your stomach will explode and you will die. Right? Or if you eat too many jalapenos, everybody else around you will die. He's saying, he's saying, listen, this is a good thing. This is the way it's supposed to work. For, food's for the stomach, stomach's for the food. He said, but, but if you, you overindulge, it's not a good thing. He said, this is even in the, in the context of the design, but you can still do even in the right design, do it the wrong way. But then he, he makes a different point. He goes on to say this. He said, but the body, however, and this is the part I want you to hang on to, the body, however, is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. So I don't want to hang out here long because we're going to come back to this. He said, listen, the food is made for the stomach, and stomach is made for the food. That's how it's designed, but you can still get pretty hurt if you do that the wrong way. But I want you to understand, although food is made for the stomach, stomach is made for the food, your body is not meant for sexual immorality. You weren't meant for it. You weren't created for it. You don't have what it takes to do it. We'll come back to that point. He says, you have the right to do it, anything. Not everything's beneficial. Even things in the right context and the right design can be dangerous. He said, but your body is not even meant for, created for, or can handle sexual immorality. We're going to come back to that in just a minute. He goes on to say, by his power, God raised the Lord from the dead, and he will raise us also. Listen, do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? Shall I then take the members of Christ and unite them with a prostitute? Never. So now he, he switches gears and he's talking specifically to Christians. Now I want you to hear me. He's coming from the concept, the same concept the culture's preaching today. It was preaching back then. It's just physical. It's just a thing. It's just an act. It's just no different than playing baseball or basketball or football. It's a contact sport. It's just, it is what it is. It's just physical. And then he says, but don't you know that you're members of Christ? Don't you know that when you put your faith in Christ, that Christ came, that you are now connected to Christ on a spiritual level? Now would you unite the spirit of Jesus Christ that now lives with you with a prostitute by the act of having sex. 
So he starts painting this picture. He says, listen, there is a design, but even within the design, it cannot be beneficial. He said, but I want you to know that your body is not meant for sexual immorality. It's not a part of the design. And he says, and he pauses, and he said, now would you take the spirit of Jesus Christ that lives in you and connect it to a prostitute through the act of sex? Would you do that? Never, he says. Obviously, you would not do that. Raise your hand if you're okay with that. Like, you're not. Somebody didn't understand the question. It's okay. So he goes on to say this, listen. Do you not know that he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her in body? Now he starts quoting the Old Testament. For it is said the two will become one flesh, but whoever is united to the Lord is one with him in spirit. So I want you to take a second. I just want you to hang on to this. I want, I'm going to teach you something if you don't already know it. Do you not know that he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her in body? For it is said the two will become one flesh, but whoever is united with the Lord is one with him in spirit. So he says you unite with God on a spiritual level, a deep spiritual level. If sex is just physical, then that connection that you have with Christ on a spiritual level wouldn't transfer to somebody you have sex with if it's just physical, right? We're following basic logic here, correct? This is easy. Paul's smart man. He's making it simple for us. But he said, when you unite yourself to a prostitute or with anyone, you become one with her in body. For it is said, going back to the Old Testament, the two will become one flesh. That word one flesh there, it, it, it comes from the, that Greek comes from the Hebrew word. And that Hebrew word literally means a cleaver or a knitting of souls together. A connection of souls. As in you have one person and you have another person, mind, body, soul, spirit. And when you connect through the act of sex, there are no longer two people. There is one person. There is a knitting of the souls. There's a knitting of a mental knitting, a soul-based knitting, a spiritual and emotional. There is a knitting of the souls. It's so concrete and it's so connective and it's so so unifying that, that Jesus says, God says in the Old Testament, Paul's saying here, that it's, it's, not, it's not as if there's two people connected. There's not even two people anymore. There's just one person. Does that make sense? He said, so when you, when you, especially for a Christian, if you're filled with the Spirit of God and you go in and you connect yourself sexually, you're taking God on that Spirit that's in there. You're connecting it in sin. Now, there's a deep-seated theological thing there and that you can chase that all you want. I don't have time to go there. But it says that you, you chase that in and you connect and it becomes one flesh, one mind, one body, one soul, one spirit. Your souls are knit together with that person you're having sex with. His point is, he says, it's not just physical it's deeply emotional deeply spiritual there's a connection there it's not something to be messed with or something to be played with is his point and he keeps going flee from sexual immorality all other sins a person commits are outside the body but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body i want to be very clear here paul changes the tone you don't say the word flee if you, like, need to get to the gas station fast. You say the word flee if a guy pulls out a gun or a knife and starts to chase you. You say the word flee if you're standing inside of a building that's on fire and you're running for your life. That word flee means run as fast as you can, don't look back, don't stop, don't pass go, don't collect $200, just run, 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 run until you get away. Flee from sexual immorality. He says, because all other sins committed are outside the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. I just want you to think about that for two seconds. And I want to stop. So I, I want to go through this just really fast. So Paul is laying this groundwork. He starts off, he just says, hey, listen, I, I want to say, listen, you can have the right to do anything you want. You have the right to do anything. It's your body. You have a, yeah, men's rights, women's rights. It's my body. Yeah, you have the right to do anything you want. Whatever you think about your body, whatever you think about your rights, whatever you think, we can all come to this one logical conclusion that not all things are beneficial. We're all there? All right, we get this. Okay. Not all things are beneficial. He goes, and then there's a design. Food for the stomach, stomach for the food. There is a design for some things. And then he leaves and he says, but your body, and I'm going to concentrate on two statements. The first one is this, your body is not meant for sexual immorality. And I want you to hear me because this is, the, this is the reason why many of you are here today to explain 
something that you've struggled with your whole life. Your body is not meant for sexual immorality. It's not meant for it. It, it, It's not for it. It's not created for it. It wasn't designed for it. That word there in sexual immorality, it's one word, and it's porneia in the Greek. It's obviously the word where we get pornography from. That word porneia, it's a very, a very interesting, very interesting word. It literally means, it comes from, it means selling off, selling off purity is what that word means. It, it creates a picture, and we see this all throughout Scripture, that God has given you something deep and special in your life. He breathed life into you. You're a special person. You're a special being, both men and women. You're, you're beautiful, and you, you have a piece of your heart, a piece of your soul, uh, your sexuality, the love within you, your intimacy, just you, your in general, your body. There's, there's a piece there. Porneo, or sexual immorality, it literally means that you take a piece of that that was meant to be given to one person wholly and fully, and you sell it off to multiple people. You sell it off to something. You, you give a piece of yourself away for something, either 30 seconds of pleasure for most of you. Think about it, right? It's, it's funny to me. It's funny to me. It's funny. It's 30 seconds is funny, but it's funny to me that people will throw their entire lives away for the average sexual experience is two to three minutes long. And they'll throw their entire family away, throw their entire marriage away, throw their entire relationship with their kids away for two to three minutes. He says you, you, you're selling a piece of yourself. You're giving a piece of it away. And he says your body's not meant for that. And I want to I hang on that word right there, not meant. The, the concept here is that, so if you, have a, if you have a chair that has a weight limit of 150 pounds, you have a chair has weight of 150 pounds. That chair is meant for someone that is 150 pounds or smaller. Right? I told you, it's so complex. You'll never understand. It's so deep. He says that chair is meant for that. If a 400-pound walrus comes and we place this giant, what's this goat? 500-pound rhinoceros. Places rhinoceros on the chair that's meant for a 150-pound person, what happens to the chair? It breaks, right? Because it's not meant for that. If you take a car, let's say the most expensive car in the world. Somebody shout out a car. Okay, shout out a car that I can understand. Huh? Nice, okay. I'm not, okay, cool. That, that guy, he said that. The Bugatti, a, a what? That I can't even understand. A Bugatti, is that right? Yeah, Bugatti. All right. I'm a super cool car guy. A Bugatti. <laughs> so you take this Bugatti. How much does a Bugatti cost? 350 grand. Oh, my gosh. What? Okay, so let's just say 350 mil? It is $3 million? What is wrong with this world? Okay. So let's take this $3 million car that better, that better be able to build stuff for me while I'm driving around in it. You take this $300 million car and use it, 300 million, or 3 million, whatever, $3 million. You drive this car, listen to me, you drive this car into the ocean. What happens? It's $3 million. It should be able to just sense the ocean and hover above it and go across. It's not meant for water, it's meant for the road, right? You take some, doesn't matter what it is. If it's meant for one thing and you do something that it's not meant for, it breaks it. We understand this logic across the board. Paul's point here is that your body, he didn't say you're not supposed to. You're not supposed to, to have sex. You're not supposed to take part in sexual You're not supposed to. He said you're not meant to. You're not created to. You're not, you weren't born to. What God built you for within the design of your brain and your body, it's not meant for sexual immorality. In the same way that a rhinoceros would break a 150-pound capacity chair and the ocean would destroy a $3 million Bugatti, still having trouble believing that. <laughs> Listen to me. In the same way, sexual immorality will break you because it's not meant for it. It will break you. It will break 
it will break your brain. It will break your body. It will bring brokenness into your life. And I'm going to prove it to you in just a second. The second thing that he says, I want you to hang on. You need to write that junk down. You need to write that down. Maybe get it tattooed on the side of your arm so the next time you're in the backseat of a car and you just, oh yeah, this is going to break me. You, you want a tattoo and your parents won't let you get one? Tell them that's what you're going to get on your arm. Guarantee you they'll let it get. Mom, I want to get the tattoo that says, don't give myself away in the backseat of a car. She'd be like, all right, what tattoo parlor do you want to go to, honey? <laughs> right? Sex is, you're not meant for sexual morality. It will break you. The second thing he says this, and I want you, I want you to listen. The second thing he says, he says, whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. All the other sins that you sin that you commit, you know, you lie to somebody, you can hurt them, you, you, it's outside your body, you, you know, you're stealing whatever it is, your other sins, you're outside. But when you sin sexually, it doesn't say that you, you, it, it involves you. It says you literally sin against your own body. The, uh, the Bible says multiple ways. Wages of sin is death. It says that sin begins in your thoughts and then it, it, gets, it gets pregnant with a thought and, and, and after some time it gives birth to an action and when that action grows up, that sin, that grown up sin will bring death to your life, chaos to your life. Paul says, listen, when you, that word right there that, that says that you sin against, it's like it says that you literally open up the entrance to your body. And, allow, and you literally bring death inside. It, they use the same word like as if you're attacking a castle that's under siege. And you go and you, you break through and you, you break an opening up and so that it gets inside and destroys it. These are two powerful sentences, powerful statements. Your body is not meant for sexual immorality. It's not meant for it. If you do it, it's going to break you in different ways. Listen to me. And when you do it and when you sin in this way, you're sinning against your own body he says so flee from it and i want to take a second i want to take a second i i i don't want to get in my own way here i want to take a second i'm going to slow down and i'm going to teach you something i genuinely i love science i was never great at it but i love the research of it i love knowing things i just love knowledge I, i've always been like that research stuff all the time when i started preparing do you remember the series i did bringing sexy back couple years back, I started studying then neurological science to the brain. And one thing that I find so unique about scripture is that as the more in-depth science becomes, and I don't want you to lose me, I want you to pay attention to me because I'm about to explain something. I'm about to explain something to many of you that you've had questions in your heart and questions in your mind and wondering why maybe you are the way you are on certain things. And I'm going to explain something to you really fast. We've just now gotten in our, in our neurological science ability with all the technology and where we are, we've been able to prove everything that God said about sexuality 2,000 to 10,000 years ago from Genesis to, to the New Testament. All right, and this is what, and I'm, just to take a second, I'm going to take a guess in your mind, what's the greatest and biggest sexual organ in your body? Please don't shout out random things. The answer is your brain. Your brain is the lar largest, biggest, most dominant sexual organ in your body. Now, I want you to listen to me. We're going to have science class for five minutes. I want five minutes. I need you to pay attention to me, okay? And if you have, if you have time, I want you to get a little pen. I want you to write these things down because I want you to go research this junk for yourself. Over the last uh, 10 to 15 years, we've been able to study the brain in a way that we've never been able to study. We can literally now study it as things are happening to it. Now, I don't know if I would want to take part in some of the studies where they figure what I'm about to tell you out, but they've done it. And what we found out is that there, there are four, in the, within the brain, when you have sex, all kinds of things, go pew, 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 or anything. When you're running, yeah, that's how I run. All right, when you're, when you're working out, there's all these things. When you're talking, when you're engaging, there's your brain just popping, 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 all kinds of stuff going on. Hormones are being released, chemicals are being released, there's sparks, neurons, pew, pew. it's just your brain's craziness. When you start having sex, I want you to listen to me. When you start having sex, there's, there's four huge chemicals and, and hormones that, that play a part in sexuality. The first one is oxytocin. All right, oxytocin. The second one is vasopressin, endorphins, and dopamine. Oxytocin, all the women, pay attention. Oxy, all these things are present in both males and females. Oxytocin, ladies, this is yours. It's most dominant in you. Oxytocin is this, uh, uh, where's my wife? Come here, babe. Can't, literally can't use anybody else. 
I would use Joseph. He'd probably enjoy it too much, so. I love you, man. I'll hug you later, and we'll, we'll give you, I'll give you some oxytocin. Okay. Oxytocin. Hey, babe. Hey. That's my wife. So I, I just figured, you know what I mean? It's snow day. Like, only half the people showed up today. So I figured we would just be low-key and maybe do some things that we wouldn't normally do when the, everybody's here. All right. I'm not going to cross any lines and be, be uh, out, out of the way, be, be inappropriate, but I'm, I'm just going to hug you, okay. spend some time with you. I love you. Did you, ha- did you enjoy last night when we laid on the couch? Mm-hmm. I was holding you all tight. <laughs> I was rubbing your back. You didn't rub my back. Yes, I did. <laughs> I scratched your back. <laughs> you you said You said scratch your back. You said maybe you scratch my back. I scratched yeah, your back. You did Okay, I scratched her back. I didn't rub her back. <laughs> you know why I married her? Because I'm full of crap sometimes. And this one, that's never one time I make it away with it. So we're just, we're just hugging each other. We're just there. Well, what happens is, especially for a woman, when you, when you, start, when you start feeling this emotion right here, <laughs> right now in Courtney's brain, there's neurons firing. And there's oxytocin starting to release in her body. Let me tell you what oxytocin does. Oxytocin is the, it's the, it's the, connect, is the connect molecule, the commitment molecule. It's the thing that makes her feel connected to me and makes her love me and trust me and all kinds of stuff. Right? It's the, oxytocin is the one that, like, when you leave and you're just like, ah, oh, it feels so good. Right? All right. I'm, I'm, you're, not, you're, you're staying this close the whole time. Okay. This is going to get weird. So <laughs> when, you, when you start hugging each other, maybe your clothes are off. I'm not doing that. I don't know. <laughs> Oxytocin starts, I mean, like, at first it's just right now, it's just little choo, choo. We take each other's clothes off, she gets so turned on. <laughs> right? She's so attracted to me. And we start rubbing each other and talking. Our clothes are off. Remember, and listen. Right now it's boom, boom, boom. Oxytocin is just shooting out. Listen, listen. You ready? No, don't leave. Don't leave. Just stay here. Oxytocin is going crazy. All right? Same thing's happening for me, except except in guys, the most dominant thing is vasopressin. Neurologists call vasopressin the monogamy molecule. It's the one thing in a guy's brain that makes them monogamous. It makes me love her. It makes me connected to her, trust her. It makes me jealous for her. This is the foundational jealousy molecule, right? I think the thing that sometimes we understand is that we, we get so hyper-spiritual sometimes that we forget that God actually created our bodies. And within our brains and stuff, he created all the things that we're just now figuring out after thousands of years. He created all these things to work. Long before we, do you remember like we were so excited we created the, the computers that were like the size of a football field that could like add two plus two and got it wrong sometimes? <laughs> they still say the greatest, most powerful computer in the existence of the world is the human brain that God created thousands of years ago. God created everything that we're figuring out. And so the way that he created it is that when we love each other and that we connect with each other and then when we do the deed, there is, I know it's awkward, I know. (laughs) But I'm sacrificing the awkwardness so that people will understand truth because we're breaking the silence, right? Right, we're crossing the awkwardness and we're breaking the silence so the culture just doesn't have its way in the minds and the hearts of the next generation. So when we have these oxytocin and this, and, and, and it's just releasing, it's, and it's making us connect to each other and love each other. And I want to explain this to the mothers really fast. The second most powerful and dominant way that oxytocin is released in your body, and I know this is going to be weird, when you're breastfeeding and nipple stimulation to your child releases oxytocin in levels that unmatched. You ever wondered why you feel such a connection to your child? Seriously. It's the oxytocin that just pumps, right? This is a real thing. This is a real thing. It's a real thing. So here's the thing I want you to understand. I love you with all my heart. When we, when we do this, when we do the things, oxytocin, vasopressin, it just starts shooting. Starts shooting everywhere. In our minds, we feel love, we feel connected, we feel going... Then endorphins start going. This is like the runner's drug. Like you run 30, 45 minutes. 
Some of you, I know you've never experienced this, but if you go out and try it sometime, you're like, I just feel so depressed. I've just been sitting here on the couch for 19 years watching TV, and I just don't know why I'm sad. Do some physical activity every now and then. God's given you a natural thing. You go run, dude, your endorphins just, and it feels so good. It's the happy hormone. So now you got the connect, the trust, the commitment, the, the monogamy molecule, and you've got the, the, the trust thing going on, and now you got the happy endorphin. So now you're just like, after it's over, you're just like, woo! And then you got dopamine. Listen, dopamine is the reward drug. Dopamine is the reason why we have addicts in this world. Because dopamine, when it, it experiences, and, and I know this is just, well, just listen to me, the greatest, the greatest spike of dopamine you will ever have in your life comes from an orgasm. And it's the addicting thing. It's the thing that makes your mind, you, it, I mean, when you, that happens, your dopamine it shoots on levels unheard of. And your body's like, I want that again. I want it again. And again. And again. So in God's perfect world, listen to me, God's perfect world, the first naked woman you would ever see in your life, guys, would be your spouse on your honeymoon night. Girls, the first, the first guy that you would see would be your husband. The first time that you would partake in each other's body would be each other's. And the, and, and, and the first time you would go all the way would be with each other. And the oxytocin and the vasopressin and the endorphins and the dopamine, they'll just be going crazy all over your body, and it, it literally addicts you to each other. Here's the problem. And this is why... All throughout Scripture, we see this language. Not that you shouldn't do it, but that your body's not meant for it. Because what happens is, is oxytocin and vasopressin in your brain, it doesn't know the difference between your honeymoon night and a random hookup. Doesn't know the difference. Doesn't know the difference if it's the... If, if it's the the, the night of the wedding or for it's at some, some high school party. Your brain doesn't know the difference. The oxytocin goes crazy. The, 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 I always, the vasopressin goes crazy. The endorphins are there. The dopamines are there. Oxytocin and vasopressin are incredibly powerful, but something happens in, in, in neurology and science, and this is explained in various amounts of ways, but this is the thing you have to understand, and I want you to hear me. I want you to hear me, and I want you to go back and listen to this again, and I want you to process it. Your, bo- your, your mind, your body, your brain doesn't know. It's built, listen, it's meant for God's design. You understand that, right? It's meant for God. God created you within a design, and that's what your brain is meant for. It's not meant for something else. And so when you do something else outside the design, and you have sex with somebody else, and you, you, you partake in sexual immorality or porneia, you sell a piece of yourself to somebody else for a few minutes of pleasure, what happens is, is that oxytocin, that therapy, it starts shooting and shooting, and you get bonded to that person. But then when you separate, there is literally a chemical, you understand chemical bonds and breaks, after a chemical, after it bonds and breaks and bonds and breaks and bonds and breaks, it doesn't bond the same way anymore. The neurologists, they explain it like this. They explain it like tape. If you take tape, if you take duct tape and you take it off, and you first you stick it, and it's, it's super, it's super sticky, and it'll hold up anything. And I did this test this week, and I was going to do it out here, but it just didn't seem like it was going to work. But it was like the, the tape, if you go and you pull it off and you stick it, it will stick, stick, stick. But if you start getting it together and you just do this, over time, what happens? It loses its stickiness. Not with dopamine and not with endorphins, but with oxytocin and veras. Oh, here's that word. That one, the, the V, eh, it's not going to go the V word. That's probably wrong. <laughs> In this series. Those two things, after, after it happens once and it goes away, and then twice and it goes away, three times it goes away, if your body, your brain literally stops pumping oxytocin. And the V word. Vasopressin, thank you. Stops pumping it the same way. It's just not as much. This is why. This is why it's been proven in males, especially in males, for some reason, after two sexual partners outside of marriage, they develop trust issues because vasopressin is the trust molecule. It's the monogamy molecule. And the only thing they have going, both males and females, the only thing you have pumping and rushing after a certain amount of bonds and breaks is just the endorphins and the dopamine. So you've lost the commitment and you've lost the trust. Ultimately, you lose the things that allow you to experience intimacy in this life. 
right? That's why we have 53% of marriages end in divorce because they fell out of love with each other because they didn't have any joy anymore. They didn't have any intimacy anymore. And of the 47% that stay together, over, over almost 50% of them say they're not happy. Those are the ones that's being honest. That's why we have so many marriages in this country that they are business arrangements. Sex is almost nothing in a marriage. There's no intimacy. There's no joy. It's a headache. It's just you're connected because it makes financial sense. You've got some kids together, so we just got to keep pressing through until they get out, and then we can separate from one. That's why you have a, so many, by the thousands of parents, as soon as the last kid is gone, they end within one year. Why? It's just a business arrangement. That, that, that thing that God designed us for, it's missing. It's not there. Here's my end point. I want you to hear me. Sexual immorality It's a broken version of sex. It's, bro- it's not within the design. It's a broken version of sex. And broken sex always leads to broken people. That's why there's so many countless stories, countless interviews with teenagers. Taylor, you can come up here. With teenagers who, 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 who have sex and, and they say, listen, it was, so, it was dating and it was fun and it was awesome and it was amazing and then we had sex and then there was just like this emptiness. It's because of that bond and break. It's not, it's not a, that's, why, that's why if you think back, just be honest with yourself, and you think back to that first time, both guys and girls, you think back to that first time. I don't care if it was in the 60s or if it was last week. You think back. You did not have a super positive experience on the other side of that, and you know it. It wasn't like the next day, especially the first time. You were like, Man, that was awesome. That was great. Everything feels good. I'm just moving. 99, 9% of the people, if they're honest with themselves, they partook in sexual immorality outside of marriage. And the days that followed for the ones that knew Christ and the ones that didn't, there was a depleted of emptiness inside of them. Right? It's nothing to mess around with. It's a very real, serious, neurological thing. God created our entire body, and we were not meant for sexual immorality. We were meant for sex inside of God's design. It's not something you shouldn't do. You weren't meant to do it. And if you do it, it will bring brokenness into your life. It will bring emptiness into your life. And if you do it enough, it will literally prevent you from finding intimacy and joy and connection on that deep and powerful level that Scripture describes. That's why when we do these love series and we do these marriage series and we do these sex series, there's so many people that email me and they say, listen, like, you know, we've gotten married and we've done the thing and it's, a, and it's in, but there is no hope in it. There is no happiness in it. There is no joy in it. I don't feel connected with her. I don't feel connected with them. It's like it's just empty. Getting married doesn't fix the unhealthy foundations that you had in your life. You never addressed the brokenness that came from sexual immorality before you met the one that you married. You just got married and put everything deep down inside and acted as if you were happy, acted as if it was just going to be okay, but deep inside you knew there's just something missing. There's just something there. It's just something's off. It's not like that. That's why girls, especially girls, oxytocin is so powerful that they can remember every single scene, every single picture on the wall, the smell, the feel of the sheets. They can, every single minute about that first time, they carry it with them for the rest of their life. It's because that's how powerful oxytocin is. And there's so many people. How many times have you heard? How many times have you heard? It's just not the same. You never forget the first. You never forget the first. It's just that connection. And here's the the, the worst. This is the worst case scenario, especially in guys' lives. Is that what they experience the first time is that the vasopressin, that chemical, that arrangement, the way that God designed it. And then when it brings brokenness into their life, they're chasing it. And they're chasing it and they can't find it. And so the only thing they have left is the dopamine and the the short-term stuff. And so that's how they get guys that just go from one girl to another, 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 and can't be committed, can't find satisfaction in one girl, can't find it. They chase it their whole life. And then they finally meet somebody and they settle down. And they get married. And they don't find any satisfaction there either. That's because, listen, I need you to hear me. Sin brings death. And when you sin sexually, 
it's against your own body. And there is spiritual consequences, emotional consequences, brokenness, neurological, mental consequences. If you do not bring these before God, you will never find what you're looking for in the bedroom, in marriage, in relationships, in dating. You'll never find that thing that you're looking for. Next week, we're going to talk about the perfect design and the amazing benefits of it. But there's a lot of you this morning that need to come to terms with what this world and this culture and sexual immorality has taken from you. And you need to look within your life right now. And if you're honest with yourself, you can see disconnection in your marriage today from sins from 10, 15 years ago. You've never brought them before the Lord. It's not just the forgiveness of sins. Of course you're forgiven. Of course the Lord loves you. He never turns his back on you. It's the emotional and the spiritual and the mental healing that needs to take place in your life. And you will only get that by the power of the Holy Spirit. That's why in the middle of this statement, Paul makes that random comment. The same power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead will raise you. He says what sin has broken in you, the Spirit of God will revive I stand here today, I can attest to you from my life, I lost my virginity in the eighth grade, right? I went from girl to girl to girl all through my teenage years. And one of my greatest regrets in my entire life was looking my wife in the eyes and saying to her, I know that you waited on me, but I did not wait on you. And I had to work past. You ask her. You look in, and if, if we studied, if you went back and you studied our first two years, she paid for the sins of my past. I struggled to commit. I struggled to lay it down. I struggled. I had to come before God in a very, very real way. I did a 21-day fast for this very issue, the thing that I'm preaching to you about right now. And I prayed that the Lord would revive and raise that part of me back to life so that I could fully engage in her, fully love her, so that I could love her the way that she needed to be loved, and that I could experience the intimacy and the joy. And there is a lot of you right now, you need to bring that brokenness, that hurt, that pain, that emotional wound, you need to bring it to the feet of Jesus Christ, because the spirit that raised him from the dead is the only spirit that's going to bring healing and a fullness back into your life that sexual sin has taken from you. And you're sitting here this morning, and you know that it's true. And if you don't buy everything, you know that the consequences of it, you've experienced it. So you're sitting there in your brain and you're going, well, that makes sense. And so my challenge to you today is don't leave this room until you bring whatever it may be to the feet of Jesus Christ.